Hey out there, everybody, and welcome to Caffeination 542, the 542nd edition here at the Caffeination Podcast. Hopefully you are out there having an absolutely wonderful day, night, or evening whenever you decide to stick us in your ears. If you are looking for this or any of the other podcasts that are associated with it, any of its brethren, then you can head on over to www.caffination.com. That is caffeination.com. And being that we are the Caffeination Podcast, I figured it was a good place to stick all the episodes. All right, as always, this episode is sponsored in part by Puzzle Beast Productions. That's the design wing of the uh, podcast army here. Uh, so if you head on over to PuzzlePiecePro.com, they got your, well, I have your web design and logo goodness laying over there. So you can uh, peruse some of the other sites that we have worked on and uh, check out to see if our design fits your needs. That's all what Puzzle Piece Productions is about. All right, so on tonight's show, we are going to have a bevy of new and exciting news to pass along to you. Old news and new. Fossil records giving up new secrets, asking questions. We're going to find out a bit more about where we came from and wonder about why we're still here. Not We're not going to get all philosophical or spiritual on anyone, but uh, the question of why us is one of the more enticing questions in all of human paleontology. So why not take a stab at it here in the Caffeination Podcast? And for once, the answer isn't coffee or is it or is it ladies and gentlemen all right you'll have to listen to find out we're going to go forward several mil several million years rather from some of the fossils we're going to be discussing into the years into the uh, modern gaming culture and run down a list of stories about the game de jour Fortnite, as well as some of the lengths people will go to get and stay good at it we're going to touch upon products both fascinating and gross, and where will you land on the Great Pickle Debate of 2018? If you'd like to support the show, you can click on any of the Amazon links that are over on our homepage or any of the other uh, fun things that we got going for you over there. All right, if you would like to get into contact with us, if you have comments, feedback, suggestions, I haven't used that line in a little bit of a while, but uh, you can send them on over to caffeination at gmail.com. If you have any feedback that you'd like to leave audio-wise, you can do so at 215-240-1319. If you're looking for us over on the social channels, you can find me at twitter.com slash caffeination. We have our Facebook fan page and a whole bunch of other fun places to uh, follow us. Uh, one of the my favorite places to hang out right now is Instagram, so you'll find some of the lunch bag designs that I actually give uh, my children in the morning. You'll find some other fun things to play around with. So hopefully you enjoy uh, sticking along with that. All right. So let's see what we got coming up for you here. Well, the first uh, bit of news story that we got for you here is uh, the Geek Life. What is happening geeky this week? Well, we just got back from our wonderful trip to New Mexico to visit family. And I got to say, uh, my eyes were opened up by a couple little things. First of all, I, I had uh, I experienced my first real <laughs> foray into the desert where I can remember everything. So that was kind of fun. Uh, the other thing was that we had uh, an experience with some new kinds of coffee. Yes, believe it or not, I had some new coffee. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on down the road. And there's going to be a review next week. Did not post it up yet. But there are a couple articles that we did post over at caffeination.com, so you can be sure we're going to be talking about those as well. But uh, the, the, the fun part about going to see family you haven't seen in a while is that, you know, you really get to 
to, to throw everything out and just just have fun. <laughs> so we we visited a really awesome uh, awesome art installation called Meow Wolf that I'm also going to be doing a quick little write up on. It is a completely and utterly immersive event. It is one of the trippiest experiences I have ever had. It was. Almost, it almost defied exp, uh, explanation. So imagine you're in a 50s style uh, house and all of a sudden you open up the refrigerator door and there's a tunnel behind it. There's a tunnel behind the dryer. When you walked into the living room, it looked like a normal living room for all intents and purposes. However, the fireplace had a weird green glow to it, which was a little bit odd. But as you approached the fireplace, you saw that you could crawl through the fireplace and you entered into another world, uh, quite literally. Literally, it was a crystalline world where there was music being made by banging on stalactites and other things that looked like dinosaur bones hanging from the rafters. It is probably one of the coolest things that I have ever seen, and I think they're franchising. I would just like to reach out to the fine folks over at Meow Wolf that they really need to put one of these in Philadelphia, because <laughs> I have a feeling it would do incredibly well. All right, uh, so Geeky on the Road, uh, I had the laptop with me, went through all the TSA and everything, but I didn't actually open it up except to uh, let my son play a video game or two. Uh, I was rather blissfully off the grid for almost the entire week. I had the episode scheduled to go out last week, so that was fun. I didn't have to do anything, uh, so I just checked, uh, you know, posted up on social media every once in a while and uh, responded to some people there. But other than that, it was really nice to pretty much get off the grid for an entire week. So, uh... <laughs> Uh, thank you for everybody who understands that, uh, you know, every once in a while you just got to do what you got to do. All right. Happy birthday to NASA. This was actually uh, two days ago, I believe. But uh, NASA turned 60. <laughs> it's hard to believe it doesn't look a day over 50. But uh, Na the NASA, the space agency, was born 60 years ago on July 30th. Uh, so it, there's there's a full write-up over at space.com, including an absolutely phenomenal video that they have there so that you can actually uh, kind, kind of enjoy where they came from, what they're doing, and what their original mission was. See, at the time, at the height of the Cold War, it was kind of unfamiliar territory to be investing in something that was more of a civilian project. So I didn't know that NASA had a precursor agency. I mean, everything in the United States has, a, has an agency in one way or another. So uh, it, it's kind of funny that they had a uh, NACA, <laughs> N-A-C-A, uh, that was the agency that was actually a precursor to uh, the national, uh, to, to NASA. And um, they, they transitioned everything completely over to civilian and scientific purposes. And then uh, they worked with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they did a whole bunch of really awesome things in their first couple years. But it was sparked by the fact that the Russians were working on, or had launched Sputnik. So uh, the United States had to launch something in, in retaliation. And pretty much if you look at the history of space travel, the only time that we ever beat the Russians anywhere was the moon. So it, it's funny that uh, that just so happens to be one of the things that we, you know, put our feather in our cap about. First man, first woman, first uh, animal, which I believe was a monkey or a dog, and, uh, you know, one of the, one or the other. <laughs> the funny thing is, uh, recently, 
uh, I've been recording all these episodes. This is a complete aside. I've been recording all these episodes with my uh, dog, Eddie, in the uh, basement with me. And uh, he's really quiet. Every other animal I've ever had feels the need to talk while we're doing a podcast. But he's nice and quiet. So I'm pretty sure he probably would have been a really good space dog. Right now he's letting me pet him while I talk on the, on the podcast, so that's even better. All right. Um, so, you know, NASA was pretty much spanked every which way till Sunday up until it came time to put somebody on the moon, and then they beat there. So there you go, and here we are. Thank President uh, Dwight Eisenhower for this one. And uh, the video that they have lo- over at uh, space.com produced by NASA is actually a really wonderful way to kind of relive the magic and majesty. All right, moving right along to the next fun little thing that we got for you there is uh, a story that is talking about, uh, we're staying in the space realm here, but what about the double impact on the moon? That's right. Uh, long, uh, now it's been a while, but most of the uh, phenomena that we see right now are have uh, stories that have been told about them. So it's like, okay, you know, uh, there have been records of flashes on the moon, but and we're pretty sure that they're asteroids, but has anybody ever really checked? Well, this, uh, the only thing I don't like about this particular uh, story is the way that they went about uh, uh, actually posting it. They said, UFOs on the moon? Space Agency captures bizarre flashes of light on the dark side of the moon. See, now there's so much clickbait in that headline that I actually feel guilty for sharing this, but uh, the, 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 the pretty cool thing that happened here is the European Space Agency uh, was able to register two distinct flashes, one following another, almost like it was tracking it. <laughs> Uh, with their telescope Midas, which is, you know, NASA or uh, space programs in general just do a really good job when it comes to uh, to actually determining these these uh, the acronyms that they use. I mean, Midas just sounds like a really cool system. So, but and I'm not even going to attempt to see exactly what it uh, what it. Uh, means, but uh, it, it's really interesting to see what it is. Now, this is the first time that this has ever been recorded, which is why it's interesting. And there's been going to be a couple of these that we actually have on the uh, the podcast today, where this is the first time this type of thing has been recorded, but it's not necessarily the first time that something like this has happened. So just because, you know, you <laughs> there have been so- stories uh, of sailors for years and years and years talking about rogue waves, waves that come out of nowhere that are hundreds of feet tall. You know, scientists have kind of, you know, poo-pooed the idea for a while up until 1995 in uh, January when they actually found and uh, took measurement of a wave that was over 75 feet high compared to other waves that were around it. I mean, that's that's impressive, that's insane, and when you really think about it, it, it it just defies all imagination. So the perfect storm where they had troughs of 80-foot waves in the movie uh, probably wasn't that far off, except for the fact that a rogue wave is... I know I'm getting really far off the, uh, the beaten path here, but a rogue wave happens separately from the rest of the storm system. So it's actually... They've been detected here and there since 1995, and it's just one of those things that I actually thought was pretty awesome. But, um... 
And this is the first time that we've seen these types of flashes on the moon. It just so happens that it was interesting that the flashes followed one another. So what it most probably is, is that there was a breakup of a larger meteorite. And in what little atmosphere that they had on the, or that there is on the moon, they burned up on entry or they impacted with some kind of uh, flash. So we'll see exactly if they ever actually determine anything more than a couple grainy pictures. But the website that I'm linking to is express.co.uk, so you can head on over there and uh, <laughs> check that out. They have plenty of pictures of, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, uh, UFOs. Uh, it's just... <laughs> It's just kind of uh, interesting. Everything from warning of a mega earthquake that's going to happen during the blood moon, which we just had recently. Um, yeah, so apparently uh, there, there's, the world is going to end. We just don't know it yet. But uh, all right, moving right along to a little bit more hard science, which is uh, where I prefer to kind of uh, live when it comes to these things. But uh, pushing the fossil horizon back a rock at a time, the earliest example of bone has been confirmed in the fossil record. Now, this is a fossil, fossil heterostation. Uh, I am not going to pronounce the other two words, but basically from the early Devonian period, approximately 490 million years ago, it's a pre-fish fish. It's a pre-everything fish. Now, see, the difference between fish, mammals, reptiles, and a lot of other animals is uh, the difference rather between sharks and fish is the skeleton is cartilage in one and bone in the other. So we've found bony plates on the outside. We've found um, other things, you know, so we've had exoskeletons, but this is the earliest example of an actual skeleton. So I thought that was really, really cool. So the the difference in the fossil record of how things um, turn to stone is is kind of cool. So there's four different types of tissue. There's bone, cartilage, and then there's dentin and enamel. So we are currently made up of those four things. So there's bone and cartilage. Cartilage is in the tip of your nose. Bone is pretty much everywhere else in your body, except for me, I have cartilage in my hands. It's a little bit of a uh, genetic anomaly there. Maybe I'm part shark. Who knows? But uh, the then you have dentin and enamel. Uh, with it. That's what your teeth are made up of. So when they do tests on bone, bone this old, each one of these things turns into rock in a different fashion. So they're able to actually do CT scans and stuff on the actual fossils that they get to see what happens to them. And they were able to scan the skeleton of this thing and find out that it was primarily bone. So that's pretty awesome. All right, next little thing that we got for you here, uh, again, dealing with, <laughs> again, going back to the uh, archaeology side of things, but modern humans outcompeted seven other different homo variants. So uh, to give you a quick rundown of who they were, and I am going to attempt to pronounce all of them, but uh, after we have... Uh, uh, talked about these previously, but Homo heidelbergensis, then there's Hodo, Homo uh, rudolfensis, Homo halibus, Homo florensis, Homo erectus, and Homo neanderthalis. And then there's Homo sapiens, which are archaic humans. So these are the seven different types of distinct species under the genus Homo that existed in roughly our lineage. So now, now, the issue with some of the fossil record in our own 
<laughs> with our own fossil record is that we know, for instance, that Homo sapiens date back approximately 300,000 years. We know that the people are not, not necessarily people, but we know that Homo florensis was only found in uh, 95,000 to 17,000 years ago and only in Indonesia. Now, these uh, people were the hobbit people that you've heard tell tell of in stories they're three point feet five feet tall with a tiny brain so there's a lot of different reasons why this might have happened homo erectus is the first standing man homo neanderthalus was actually larger than us and uh, unlike us they actually exhibit uh, sexual dimorphism in the opposite way so the females were much larger than the males um, so it, it, it's kind of in insane and crazy but uh, from 600,000 years ago to 350,000 years ago you had the homo neanderthalus and then for the homo sapiens why were they out of all of the other species the ones to stick around now, scientists have come up with a rather interesting uh, idea as to why this is, because they were able to track the spread of the different variants of the Homo genus throughout the world. Now, what happened between 300,000 and 12,000 years ago is that all of the other hominids actually dispersed completely disappeared. So why is it that we are the only one left? So when you want to think about it in a philosophical sense, why did we survive? Do we have survivor's guilt here? Did we outbreed? Did we outdo whatever? I mean, the, there's several other archaic versions of hominids that have been proven to have uh, stone tool use. They've been proven to have things like uh, the ability to capture abstract images when they were uh, drawing on cave walls and stuff like that. I mean, it's very possible that these different types of people, if we really want to call them people, could have survived. So then why did we survive when they didn't? And the answer seems to be in the fact that we were a lot more adaptable. Not necessarily that we could spread as far as they did, but we spread into the more extreme climates than they did. So whereas most of the other groups of hominids actually stayed uh, in and around the forested areas and in and around the temperate zones, or in the case of Homo neanderthalus, they actually came close to the, uh, closer to the cool and temperate zones, we went into the arid areas. We went into the other areas that were around, uh, into the harsher environments so that we were able to adapt and kind of shift around. So this is kind of one of the first times, I mean, it... The, the funny thing about these uh, discoveries, so to speak, is that when you hear it, it says, well, of course that makes sense. And there's a lot of uh, scientific proof that goes on behind the scenes with this kind of stuff. So it's just kind of fun to play along and, and uh, actually read up. So as with all the other stories I'm discussing, I have this shared out so that you can uh, go over there and uh, get your Homo sapien sapien on. Uh, the next little thing that we got for you here. Now, the reason that this kind of struck of... Uh, accord with me is I went to, uh, on my trip out to, uh, New Mexico recently, we went to Petroglyph National Monument. And Petroglyph National Monument is an unbelievable place if you've never been there. You can actually look basically at what people doodled on rocks 800 years ago. Now, I thought that the petroglyphs were actually much older than that because, uh, because not, 
uh, hominids, but because uh, people in general have been in the new world that is North and South America, North, South, Central, uh, for around 14,000 years. We keep pushing that back slightly as well. Uh, so why only 800 years ago? Well, it's because that's when the, this area was inhabited by these people. Uh, they haven't been able to date anything further back than that. So it's it's really, really awesome to see that kind of stuff. However, if you head on down to Chile, then you can find some rock llamas. Yeah, not rock lobster, but rock llamas. So these are cave paintings that they're trying to turn into a world heritage site. It's uh, around 9,842 feet above sea level on the banks of the lower river, and it traverses the desert. So there's a gallery of 16 paintings and they are in incredibly fragile shape, and what people are trying to do is actually uh, save this incredibly valuable resource. Now, these paintings are from 2,500 years ago. Now, if you if you follow along with any of this uh, that I, I've talked about before, you'll know that uh, people theoretically traversed the Bering Strait, which is the... Uh, point in between Alaska and Russia, and then they came down and flowed into North America. Because with the out-of-Africa hypothesis, everybody came out of Africa, spread around the planet, or if you look at one of the other places, or one of the other theories, they spread out of Africa, and then they mixed with other uh, hominids that were around, and possibly generated smaller groups that were around, and then spread. Um but there was no, there has been no proof one way or another that humans have existed in the new world before roughly 14,000 years ago so this rock art and some of the places that uh, this place is trying to protect some of the archaeological sites it actually pushes uh, some of <laughs> some of the petroglyphs i saw into uh, modern art territory when you really think about it. So we are closer to the petroglyphs than they are to the <laughs> we are closer to the petroglyphs than the petroglyphs are to the rock llama paintings. So if you want to kind of figure that out because if the petroglyphs are only 800 years old and the rock llamas are 2500 years old, it all it all works out in the wash, I promise. And <laughs> all right, so moving right along to the next little topic here, all right, moving right along to the next little story. Again, we're sticking back into the uh, deep history of places, but this is just a fun little fact that I decided to share with the group here. Uh, most people think that the North Star doesn't change, and I, unfortunately, was one of those people. See, the North Star does change. It's an ever-rotating litany of stars that occupy the northernmost position. And in fact, it has been several different stars recognized as the North Star throughout history. So when you're saying, oh, the pyramids were aligned to the North Star, yes, the pyramids were aligned to a different North Star. So they were aligned to Thuban, which is in the constellation of Draco. When they began the earliest pyramids, around 3000 AD, the star in the Gamma Self... Uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, when around when we are around 3,000, the year of 3,000, the star Cephas will be the closest to the North Celestial Pole. And that will be our North Star until 5200 AD, when it'll be Iota C Cephi. And that'll be it. <laughs> uh, 
so then in t- 10,000 AD, the familiar star Deneb, the tale of Cygnus the Swan, will be in the North Polar Star, which again is uh, a rotation. And then in 27... 27- 27,000 AD, Polaris will take up the mantle again. So, yeah, I know that that's that's a little bit of a a, a wandering uh, chart here, but it's kind of funny to see that it's basically a rotating litany of uh, stars that currently take that up. It's so much longer than anybody would actually pay attention to it within one lifetime that you don't really need to know that unless you're trying to look at some old archaeology and you're saying, hey, what does this stuff all really mean? And uh, that's when you can uh, check it out and say, oh, they were lined up to a different North Star. So uh, Deneb, which is the uh, North Star that will be in 10,000 AD, is the same North Star that Gobleki Tepe was actually aligned to. So if you check that out, I wonder what the North Star was when Stonehenge was around. Well, it's still technically around, but I wonder which North Star that one's aligned to. Because everybody always says, oh yeah, it's aligned to this and it's aligned to that. Yeah, but whenever it was built, uh, which I don't know off the top of my head, but whenever it was built, I wonder what it was aligned to. I wonder what the skies looked like. So it could be, it's just kind of fun to play around with. It's a little thought experiment thought I'd share with the group. All right, next little thing that we got for you here is, uh, you know about Jurassic Park where they uh, basically pick... uh, DNA out of the uh, amber and then they bring it back alive and then bad things start to happen. Well, you'd think scientists would learn a thing or two from movies because Siberian worms are very tough. Apparently they are 30,000 years tough. Scientists have gone into Siberia in the permafrost dug out. Now previously we've already dug out viruses a super virus that is so much larger than any current virus and they have... (laughs) They, they've uh, apparently defrosted that, and it still works. So that's wonderful. We have that going for us. And I guess to attack the super virus, they decided to thaw out some roundworms, and they found out that all of the roundworms that they actually thawed out are female. So I don't know what that means or how that helps us or hurts us, but they are nematodes. And as soon as I saw nematodes, I couldn't stop thinking of SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, here is just the little thing that you need to know the Sponge. Bob taught everybody. There's an entire episode on SpongeBob about how nematodes eat everything. So I thought it was kind of funny to uh, just kind of share that with the group. And uh, (laughs) it's one of those things where it seems like a good idea at the time. But is it really? Is it really a good idea? All right. Moving right along. (sighs) This, This is a story that I saw in the Wall Street Journal. And I don't know why I can't read it today, but I was able to read it on my phone yesterday. So I decided to link to another story. Um... There's a story that says parents are upset. They feel personally responsible for the fact that their children are not as good at Fortnite as they should be. So uh, what the parents are doing is hiring tutors, not for math or science or anything wonderful like that, but they're paying anywhere from 10 to $20 an hour. Yes, they are paying more than minimum wage to teach their children how to play Fortnite. In fact, there's some stories in there where the dad was was uh, 
hiring a Fortnite coach. Then his children found out, so they got their own special hour. So each week, there's a coach who works with three members of the family, and the only thing the dad can say is, "Oh yeah, well you know the wife and the wife and daughter really make fun of us." Yeah, around here, uh, my wife was just shaking her head. She says she can't believe it happens. Um, I can sort of almost believe that it happens. I know it'll never happen in this house, but my son's getting to the point where he's decent at Fortnite, and it's like one of those things where I want to look at him and say, all right, so you want to start making some coin on the side? You can easily set up a business and start teaching noobs. And he says, no, I don't like dealing with noobs. I even tried to get him to come on the show tonight to discuss it, and he said he wouldn't do it. So... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so if you have a kid out there who's really good at Fortnite, now might be the time to cash in. You, too, can have them talk to strangers over the Internet and charge them money for it. Wait a minute, that came out wrong. No, it's, that's about what it sounds like. All right, so if you have a little bit of time on your hands, you can move along to the next little link that we got for you here, and that is watch every Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers character do a Fortnite dance <laughs> uh, from one way or another. So basically, they took the PC version of Fortnite. They mapped a, they mapped an animation stick figure onto the one of the default dances, and uh, then they decided to map it to every single character in uh, Super Smash Brothers into a stretched out version of it. So here's what the dance sounds like. So the entire video is just this song over and over again with different characters doing it. And like, while I think it's really interesting that they were able to make the, the characters do the dance, some of them really didn't work well. Like Link from Legend of Zelda didn't really do it well because he ended up putting his sword through his head a couple times. The princess and Bowser, it's just things were folded in ways that they shouldn't. Bowser's mouth ended up swallowing his shell. Uh, there, there's, yeah, so I'm going to stop this because I can't take it too much more. And I forget what the dance is actually <laughs> called, but I think it might just be the default dance. See, the funny thing about Fortnite to me is that I've seen kids do these dances. Kids of all different ages do these dances, and they seem better than the actual game ones. So if it gets kids dancing, I guess that's fine. But uh, I, I think that they might want to stay away from Super Smash Brothers and uh, just let the kids keep doing it. All right, next little thing that I got for you here is actually a little bit of a cheat sheet. If you end up uh, playing Fortnite and you're looking for all the different little uh, nuts and bolts that are hidden around it, there are different ways in which you can interact with the map. We've had basketballs and basketball hoops. There are lightning bolts that you can find, and now there's clay pigeons. So I'm wondering what's next. See, the clay pigeon's the first thing that actually makes sense to me. It's something that you can activate. It fires the clay pigeon off into the middle of nowhere, and then you are trying to shoot it with whatever gun you happen to have. What would be really funny is if there was an achievement for shooting the clay pigeon and then chasing it down and hitting it with your pickaxe. So I am just decided to share that one because I thought it was pretty interesting. And then the final little bit of uh, news that I have for you from Fortnite this time is Fortnite is actually coming to Android devices. I know everybody out there is all screaming, ah, yes, wonderful. Except it's, uh, uh, like everything, everything's coming as a money ploy. So the first thing that's going to happen is that it's not going to be in Google Play, which is really annoying. So it's not going to be in the official download store. You're going to have to sideload it. 
which is going to be annoying as 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 all get out potentially because Google keeps 30% of the profits on anything done through the Play Store you might have to buy it outside of the Play Store and install it that way that's 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 just great the second thing is that it's going to be exclusive to the the new Galaxy phone for the first month so when the Galaxy phone launches sometime in August which yeah I keep forgetting that this actually is August but uh when it launches sometime in August then you're going to be able to download and play the game on that so then after that it's only going to be launched on phones that meet a certain very strict set of criteria so uh if you head on over to the link that are in that's in the uh, the post you can see the different phones that it's available on but uh there's some phones that are just to, to give you the rundown the Google Pixel 2 Google Pixel 2 X Huey Mate 11 or Mate 11, uh, Mate 10 Pro, uh, Mate 10 9. I don't even know. There's a whole bunch of them. Samsung uh, Galaxy, Samsung Tab. Um, so it, it, it's great that it's coming to Android. I like the fact that they're actually restricting what devices they can run on so that they can only support the ones that have enough juice to actually keep the game going. I wonder what what kind of, uh, and I think it's actually a smart move, despite the fact that it's annoying that they're launching with a smaller subset first so that they can troubleshoot what's going to go wrong as soon as it's on the Android ecosystem. So as long as they keep up the uh, thing that everybody but PlayStation is doing where they, they allow interplayability, it's going to be really interesting because then my daughter will be able to start playing against my son, and I just hope she's better than him just for a little bit because I think it would be hilarious. And I might have to get him a tutor. Just kidding. Not even a little bit. Never going to happen. All right, moving right on into the food and caffeinated bits. What else am I missing, people? There's one very important thing that I found when I went out to New Mexico. Apparently, chicory is not the only weird thing that people add into coffee. There's something called a pinon nut. And they, in New Mexico, they add that into coffee. Actually, I guess in most of the Southwest, they add that into coffee. So if you out there know any special local sp- herb or spice that gets ground up and thrown in with coffee on the regular. I'm not talking cinnamon. I'm definitely not talking hazelnut. I hate hazelnut. Uh, but I'm I'm serious. If you know any weird thing that gets ground up and rolled into coffee and it's just out on store shelves, I want to know about it. Because now I know about chicory from Café du Monde when my parents brought me back some of that uh, in Louisiana, from Louisiana. I also was unaware that Louisiana was the entry point for coffee into the United States. Uh, chicory was originally introduced, and this is all from uh, Café du Monde's homepage, but uh, the chicory was introduced during the Civil War specifically because uh, there was, or actually during the, I lost out which war it was, during the French Civil War, the supply of coffee was relatively low. So they ground up chicory and they drew, and they threw it in with the pot of coffee to take back the uh, bitterness of the coffee a little bit and to actually uh, bring up the body of the uh, beverage that they were drinking. Now, I like the way that they explain that. To say what chicory is, they don't ever say chicory is, or they don't ever say, so what chicory is, they basically just spell it out for you. Chicory is the root of the endive plant. Endive is a type of lettuce. The root of the plant is roasted and ground. It's added to coffee to soften the bitter edge of the dark roasted coffee. It adds an almost chocolate flavor to the café au lait served at Café du Mont. So the funny thing about pinyon nuts is they are roasted, they are added to the coffee, and then they also add a chocolate note to the coffee. 
And uh, I was brewing some today, and I had somebody from around the corner. Uh, we, I bought a bag while I was out there, of course, and I uh, had somebody from around the corner walk around and say, what are you making? It smells like hot chocolate. No, my friend, I am having coffee, and that is a wonderful thing to be doing. So, of course, I, I offered to share, but unfortunately it was not to be. I like sharing coffee. You know, it's it's always fun. All right, a local story here. Panera Bread is apparently testing out a double bread bowl. Yes, you heard it here correctly. They're heading out, and they're making a large loaf of bread, and they're hollowing out two sections of it, and they're putting stuff in it. This looks like mac and cheese and clam chowder. Uh, unfortunately, that would probably kill me, lactose intolerant, but... I love the idea of a bread bowl. I love eating stuff in a bread bowl. And the fact that there's now two things in the same bread bowl makes it all that much more fantastic. So I thought I'd share it with the group. All right, next little thing we got for you is from over at TrendHunter.com. TrendHunter talks about the black tea body scrub. Now, apparently from Delicious, except Deli, Delicious. Delhi is spelled like the uh, city, and Sios uh, is spelled like the end of delicious. So it's an antioxidant-rich black Assam tea. And the, the wonderful thing that they said, it's completely vegan. Yes, it's tea. Tea is vegan. It's also cruelty-free. I want to find tea that is actually cruelty-full. I want to find somebody that beats up the tea plants before they put it in. Now, it's fine if you say things like responsibly sourced or fair trade or stuff like that, but when you start throwing other nutritional buzzwords in there, you really start to get me going. I Like, it's cruelty-free. I understand that. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> It, it's it's more than a little bit ridiculous. All right, moving right along. The next little thing that we got for you here is from over at geekdag.com. There's apparently a new way to make smoothies that does not include blades. You take a pre-smoothie prepped bag, you slop it into a smoothie hole, and then you hit a button and gravity and heat do the rest, and it unfreezes your smoothie. Now, I think that this is an interesting idea. The only problem is... I would want to make my own packages. They say it's locally sourced. Does that mean you have to buy it locally from wherever you are? It's an interesting idea. Yes, it's a wonderful way to, to think about doing this. Now, if you could make your own at home with a blender, I could see it being a little bit more useful. You take these things out of the freezer, you put them in there like two uh, inverted toaster slots, and then the biodegradable and uh, recyclable packaging uh, gets thrown out. That that's all well and good. I just I don't see how this uh, Avazi smoothie machine is actually as useful as it could be. It seems to be an incredibly specific product that has a consumable that's associated with it, and it's one of the reasons I never got on top of the Keurig chain. And I had the Tassimo, and I reviewed that, but I got rid of it after a little while. Um, I don't like things that have that kind of limited use range. Like, I have coffee machines, and coffee machines are fine, but I can put whatever coffee I want in them. I don't want somebody else to limit the the, uh, the types of things I put in there. So I don't want to be limited just to go to one gas station when I buy a car. You know what I mean? All right, moving right along, because uh, that's how we do. The nastiest product of the day, uh, the first runner-up, is Hellman's Mayonnaise Ice Cream. I don't know what else we can say on this, but it looks like it's mayonnaise and it tastes yeah, I don't I don't know why, 
but it does not need it's a thing that does not need to be so there you go here we are moving right along because i don't want to look at it anymore <laughs> all right next little thing that we got for you here is uh, again from uh, over the source the source was uh originally trend hunter i traced it back coca-cola is debuting over in uh, japan where apparently there's a run on clear beverages right now but there's banana milk Yes, clear banana milk is a new drink that you can find over there. It might look like water, but the label suggests it tastes more like a creamy banana beverage. So this is not disgusting. This sounds phenomenal. I like banana. I think that banana is a great flavor to put in things. It's weird that it's clear. I hope it's not um, syrupy, but... uh, yeah. Now, the next thing that we come up with is the uh, grossest thing I've seen today, and uh, I unfortunately have to share it with you because I could not uh, do anything else. But you can now buy a snack pack of snow cone flavored pickles on Amazon. Apparently, and I was unaware of this, but Kool-Aid pickles are a thing in the South. Now, if you have a regional delicacy that you'd like to share with us or you'd like to tell us about, please email us at caffeination at gmail.com and we will all go, ew. I mean, here in Philadelphia, we have a, a thing called Scrapple. It's basically everything of the oink, but the oink of the pig that goes in. And it tastes phenomenal when it's fried correctly. It does not taste phenomenal if it's not fried correctly. But if you have twenty one ninety nine, you can now sample different flavors of Kool-Aid pickles. And uh, when they chopped it up, it looks like somebody's, uh, I don't know, it looks like the ends of a jello tray that have started to dry. So, But they all have a bunch of different ones. Now we move right along to one of the coolest things that I've seen today. And it's one of the coolest things I've seen today because the brand is Ochi's and they are coffee sunglasses. Now they are not coffee sunglasses in that they are all... Uh, They let you see coffee everywhere, but they are actually made of coffee grounds, which I think is pretty awesome. So I don't know if they're used. I don't know if anything else happens with them. uh, Like, the Kickstarter hasn't even launched yet. I just saw it uh, floating around, and I saw a couple different people talking about it, and I had to share it with you fine folks. So you can read the story that we posted up over there, and we kind of ran through. There's going to be five different versions that are out, and if you get in early enough on the Kickstarter, you'll be able to get them for... $69, $69, uh, which is 42% off of the $119 mark. Now, unless you are like me and you get your sunglasses from the dollar store, $119 is actually on the low end for designer sunglasses. So it's not that bad when you really think about it. And the sunglasses actually look pretty awesome. Um, they also apparently smell like coffee, and that might be enough to get me to buy them. Uh, I don't know what the mouth feels like. I don't know if it's single origin, Arabica, or Robusta. I don't know uh, whether or not you can uh, dip it in your coffee and uh, possibly have a little uh, little latte that, that you use to stir them with. But, I mean, it, it's interesting, so I thought I'd share it with the group as well. And then the last little thing, there's a, a design that's been kicking around in my head, and it's the first time I've ever felt uh, comfortable uh, sharing this particular version of it. But uh, death before decaf. Now, I'm not saying that I would die before I had to have decaf coffee, but I'm saying there are so many other beverages that you can have and lovingly ingest before you start drinking decaf coffee, because coffee is meant to be caffeinated. It's meant to have all that wonderfulness all up inside you. And if you are one of the unfortunate people who cannot have caffeine, 
caffeine. That's perfectly okay as well. You don't need to have caffeine. You can just start drinking herbal tea because I'm fine with that because it's naturally decaffeinated. And it's fine because it's supposed to be that way. As soon as you start doing things like chemically processing stuff to make it not do what it's supposed to done do, that's when I start getting a little bit skeeved out by the whole uh, whole thing. So, all right. Now, the last little thing we got for you here today, the final thought, which I'm kind of curious, so I'm kicking out to everybody out there, is 3D printed guns. Now, I have a really odd opinion about guns because on the one hand I do I would never say ban all guns on the other hand I think that our laws don't work correctly and I'm not about to sit here and pontificate on anything on this what I'm saying specifically is should you be able to download the plans to print your own gun out now if you've never worked with a 3D printer you'll know that it is actually pretty expensive to get started with some of these things and you could theoretically say, well, there's a larger barrier of entry there, and we're not saying that you can't do this. But what I'm saying is flip it on the end and say, okay, these plans already exist. Would you want people to go out there and get them where they haven't been tried, they haven't been tested, and there's no kind of checks and balances system so that if they were to try and print them, you'd have random people blowing their hands off? Or do you want to print something and say, okay, we have to find a way to deal with this now because technology is advancing? Because as soon as you start saying things like, hey, this information is dangerous, we don't want anyone to ever have it, that's when you're going to start getting into the slippery slope problem. That's when you're going to start saying, well, yeah, okay, so we're going to ban all uh, discussion of 3D printed guns. And then you know what? You're not allowed to print that Disney figure. You're not allowed to draw a Disney figure. You're not allowed to do anything uh, that, that involves possibly copyrighted material. You're going to have people starting to copyright things like I don't even know. I, I, the, the long and the short of my argument here is that unfortunately you can't untuck this one. You can't put it back in the can. People have already downloaded it. I think you need to find a way to make the system either track or ensure that things are used and done responsibly. I don't think there's anything else we can do at this point, and I think anything else is basically just shoving your head in the sand. And I am really open for debate on this. I'd love for other people to kind of put put their two cents in. Um, if you're going to sit here and call me a flaming liberal, well, you're right, I am a liberal on most things. But if you're going to sit here and say that I don't know what I'm talking about with guns, then you're probably wrong with most of that as well. I'd love to be able to hear some other people's uh, discussions on this. We just try and keep things civil here in the Caffeination. All right, so that about wraps it up here today for Caffeination number 542, Big 542. Uh, this has been a fun episode. I Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Fortnite and Fossils, we discussed a whole lot. So if you are looking for this episode or any of the other episodes that are in its... Uh... Whoa! That's a little bit early for that. If you're looking for this episode or any of the other episodes that are in its fun little class, its little cohort of episodes or episodic friends, then you can find them over lovingly nestled over at www.caffination.com. That's caffeination.com. Being that we are the Caffeination Podcast, we figured it was a good place to put them. All right, if you were looking for me, my name is Paul Muller. I am list lovingly hosted over at uh, the Caffeination, or at uh, Caffeination, twitter.com slash caffeination. 
I am Caffeination Most Places. You can find the Facebook fan play fan page and everything else listed over at the website. So 215-240-1319 if you have audio feedbacks, commentary, suggestions. If you want to tell me to get out of Dodge and never discuss things again, I'm perfectly all right with that as well. I might not listen to you, though. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, and have a good night. Stay caffeinated, people.